0: This morning, we're going to spend some time thinking through um, re-entry And that is a word that suddenly has become incredibly important and poignant in our world, right? When we think about um, sort of what happens next We hear both uh, the president and those in federal power We hear about our governor and those in state power We hear about um, people who are in county power Positions of authority that this word reentry all of a sudden gets much consideration, and rightfully so. Reentry is that word that sort of grasps what happens next for us, and we all don't know what that will look like. What does um, what's today? Today is April the twentieth, something like that. Nineteenth, nineteenth twenty. There we go. Somewhere in there. Anyway, what is May nineteen twenty? look like? What does June 19 and 20 look like? What does it look like for us to gather? Is this room going to be filled again on a Sunday morning? Are there going to be restaurants open for you to sit down? What will it look like for us to walk through different places? Will those masks that some of us have become incredibly familiar with and frustrated by in whatever it is that we do um, when we're out and about are those things going to still be present or is things going to be um, a thing of the past. What does it look like for reentry for education? What does it look like in August when our kids are thinking about going to school or maybe not going to school and continue to do things at their kitchen table? What will happen in the meantime to equip us for reentry? Will there be a vaccine? Will there be the sorts of things that we hope and long for so that things can get back to some sense of normalcy or not? This word has become really important. And to me, it's actually really interesting that we're talking about that word much more this week than we were the previous week, part because whether or not we've hit the peak of the, the um, pandemic or not is, is up for debate, but it looks like we may have. Now suddenly we're talking about this reentry. Uh, we're talking about it the week after Easter then. And that week after Easter, actually when you think about it for the disciples is very similar in terms of its scope and its impact to our present circumstance. These are people that in the time of Christ are wondering what re-entry looks like. For their lives they had lived into one reality and that reality was this, that death meant the end. And for the past three years, they'd lived in relationship with their rabbi, Jesus, their teacher, who had taught them many things and they had been equipped for ministry and supernatural ministry. Many of them had bore witness to things like miracles, things like feeding of 5,000 and 4,000, healing of lepers and those who are sick. They'd bore witness to this. And now all of a sudden, the week after Easter... All that has changed. The first thing that changed was death no longer is the final part of the story. Christ had beaten death. Not only that, but Christ was no longer with them in the same way during the week after Easter. Of course, he shows himself to them on the road to Emmaus. He shows himself to the women. He shows himself uh, himself to them in the room and eventually more so as they return to Galilee and he shows himself to them on the beach. But This is different now. This is a different context. This is a different world that the disciples are living in. And what is their re-entry then into ministry with the story being changed to one of a teacher who teaches and teaches love and shows love and reflects love to the world around him to a teacher who does all that and has beaten death. And through his death, All of humanity now has life. They're figuring that out. And so for us, over this next season, between now and Pentecost, the time when we think about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we want to think more about who Jesus is and what his resurrection and what his changing the story for the disciples and also changing the story then for us. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to think more about Jesus and what freedom he gives us. That's the word that you're going to hear over and over again. This whole series is called Re-Entry. We're free again. We look forward to the time and the weeks to come when we are free. Free to do the restaurants. Free to gather and worship. Free to do go back to work in a normal way. But we also want to think about well, how we're free again in Christ. As we dig into God's word in the book of Hebrews this morning, let's pray for God's blessing and presence on our time. Father, you have given us freedom through the work of your son Jesus. And we pray, Father, that this morning as we dig into the book of Hebrews, a unique and challenging book in what it teaches us, that we can understand more deeply of who you are and what your work, through your suffering, through your humanity, through your torture, through ultimately your arrest and, and death gives to us. what What is it that we receive because of what you have done and how you have known the fullness of your glory? Father, equip us then to be able to live into that truth, that freedom in the world around us in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. Father, equip us to To that end because you're the only one who can We pray it all in Jesus name Amen I want you to turn in your Bibles To the book of Hebrews The book of Hebrews is right near the end Of the New Testament It's probably only about um, Maybe 30-40 pages From the ends of your Bible It's uh, one of the larger books Near the end and we're going to be In chapter 2 Beginning at verse 5 And the first number of verses 5 through 8 say this to us this morning. It is not to angels he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. And obviously he's been talking about this earth and this, the new creation that has been restored in Jesus. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. As you read this part of God's word, you see very quickly... That God has a special place in his creation for humanity. They are unique in all of his creations. He has made them, what does it say? A little lower than the angels. Now, just thinking about that for a moment, I want you to think about the times in the text when angels showed up. We talked about one of those last week at Easter, right? The angels showed up and... Uh, Mary and Mary and the women were absolutely freaked out because they saw this this angel in fullness of glory and it, it its presence was so much that it made the guards look as dead. Okay, and humans are just a little bit lower than them. Now, even when you think about that shift between humanity and angels, we're We're surprised, we're amazed, we're astounded by the difference. If an angel were to show up wherever you are now, you would probably stand in for sure a little awe and wonder, if not a little amount of fear, right? I mean, these things are powerful, they are beautiful, they are pure, they are holy, they are these lovely, lovely creations of God that are his messengers. And we're just a little bit lower than them. I want you to put that in your hat for a minute because we're going to come back to that. And the quote that we get here what is mankind that you are mindful of them? It comes from Psalm chapter 8. And if you know anything about Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8 is right in the center of a whole series of Psalms. It's actually the middle Psalm in the middle of all of that. And all these other Psalms around it on both sides, I think it's what? It's a total of six Psalms on either side, are Psalms of lament where humanity and the writer of the psalm is writing about the pain and the suffering of the world around him and that God needs to come and intervene. Then right in the middle, you get this psalm chapter eight, which says, what is man that you are mindful of them? You have made them a little bit lower than the angels. It's a psalm of worship, but that psalm of worship comes right in the middle of a whole bunch of lament, of Brokenness And brokenness surrounding humanity Humanity is special We're hearing from these words And yet coming from Psalm 8 In the center of all this lament We're hearing that we're still desperate And we're still broken And we still need the fixing That has to come from somewhere besides ourselves Because we can't make it work One other thing to note it says this in verse 8. It says, um, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. What is it that is different? What is not subject to humanity right now? Well, here's my thing. We actually celebrated it last week, last week right? Death. Is not subject to us. If you went out of this place and you ran your car into a wall at 150 miles an hour, which I don't know if your car would go that, but if you did, you would die. And there's nothing that you could do to control that, and you would then be subject to death until Christ comes. But Christ wasn't. Christ, death was only for a short time, three days. And he has his victory over it. That's the only thing in all of creation that God is saying to us here is not subject to us, is death. And you're going to see how that works in a moment. Let's continue reading in verse 9. It says this, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because why? He suffered death so that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So the crowning glory of God in Jesus Christ is victory over death, and Christ tasted that for us. The glory of Christ is his victory over death. Hear that. That's why in our journey towards God, Christ is absolutely central and pivotal. And in the life of the church and in the church calendar during this season of the year, we focus on Christ and grab on to what that new reality of of eternal life given to him through the gateway he made in his victory over death. We're thinking about that because if the case is that Christ has full glory because of his suffering and victory over death, then we know our full glory through him and his victory over death. Christ is central. So when you hear the world talking about all the ways that you can get to know who God is, and they don't bring up Jesus, you need to keep looking. You need to keep listening because if they're not talking about Jesus and if you are a person who is seeking the way to life and you're thinking, I can discover God through nature. I can discover God through other expressions of faith and discover things about who he is through other religions. I'll tell you this, you can discover things about who God is. Being, being a, a person who studies Islam is going to understand things about God. A person who looks at Old Testament Judaism is going to understand things about God, but there is not that gateway to the full glory of humanity that comes from victory over death because that only comes through Jesus. So when we in the church and when we in faith say there is no other way to the Father except through the Son, we're... Discovering more even during this season In this text It's because Jesus makes the way through death And there's no other way There's no other religion That's going to talk about death The way Christianity does There's no other way That this, this world is going to talk about death The way that Christianity does Because without Christ In death It's done You and I die It's over In Christ, there's a next part of the story. Now, one interesting phrase too, is it says this about Jesus in verse 9. We see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Okay, this is important. And this should challenge you. I hope it does because it challenged me this week. We think about this sort of hierarchy, right? We put humans and who is above humans? Who is above humans? Humans. Angels, right? Good, Reuben. So if angels are above humans, then who is above the angels? God. Okay. Now we do this. We do humans, then we do angels, and then we do right above them, God. And I think that is a horrible way to think about it. Because that doesn't capture it even a little bit. It's here. What was it here, Reuben, right at the bottom? Humans. And next is... Angels, and we're a little lower than them. And then above that is God. I can't jump high enough. It is a radical shift from this place of angels, angelic reality, to a place of this, who God is. When we think about Christ becoming human and moving from the spot above, which frankly is as far as the furthest star away from me right now to my hand, when we think about that, we think about this sort of shift. It's not that sort of shift. It's not like, and I'm trying to capture it this week, and I don't have another way to do it. We think that God becoming human is like a human becoming a dog. Like that comparison, right? Right? We think, okay, dogs are a little bit below humanity, and if I think about God becoming human, it's like me becoming a dog, and so I lose something in my humanity, but you can see, you know dogs, Um, dogs still have a lot of stuff. They have love. Dogs love you, don't they? Dogs have joy. Dogs have sadness. If I go up to Shadow and I say, bad dog, the first thing that he does is put his head down. And he avoids looking at me because he knows and he feels that level of sadness. The comparison between a human and a dog really, I mean, it's significant, but it's not that significant. I want, if God becoming human is more like a human becoming a rock than becoming a dog. Like, and a rock has no sense of being. A rock has no feeling. A rock has no love. A rock has no no purpose except to exist exactly where God put it and be made into what a human may shape, form, or fashion. So for God to submit himself to humanity and become a little lower than his creation, the angels, is such a submission, such a sacrifice, such a giving up of himself that we should be first of all confronted by it and being like, holy smokes, God, you did this for me. But then additionally for us to hear, through Christ, we are united with him in his glory. This is not just a little bit of a shift. This is a a radical shift in our reality. When we finally experience the joy of Christ coming again to give us new life and bringing us the reward which he has promised over and over again in his scriptures our new reality our new glory our new beauty in being united with him and experiencing the presence of God for all eternity is such a radical shift we can't even begin to comprehend it And through Christ, it's been promised, and it's real, and that promise can never be taken away from you. And if that's the case, man, you're free. Woman, you are free. You are free because that's what you know is to come. So no matter what you're going through here, no matter how hard it is, how challenging, how many burdens you experience, how much suffering you know, no matter what, that's the promise. And this is only a short time. No matter what, in a year, we are going to be thinking about our world very differently than it is now. My guess is we're not going to see the face masks. We're not going to be having, this is going to be a full room. That's just a short time. And I look forward to be able to celebrate that day. But that day that I look forward to the most is a day of celebration that lasts in all its fullness for all eternity because of the way through death that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the gift that God gave us in Jesus. In Christ becoming like us a little lower than the angel's. We are united with him and taken into his presence in the fullness of his glory, which we will for all eternity just begin to discover. That's the gift that we have in Christ. Gives us freedom to live in this world, knowing that we can look forward to that ahead. Verses uh, 10 through 13 says this. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God... For whom and through whom everything exists Should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered Both the one who makes people holy and those who are holy are of the same family So God is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters In the assembly I will sing your praises And again, I will put my trust in him and again, he says, here I am, the children God has given to me. Okay, now, there's a lot here. The challenge that we have with the book of Hebrews is that like every section of text is like this massive theological goldmine. So I'm going to go through a couple things. I'm going to miss some things, but a couple things bit by bit. The first of all, I want to ask this question. It says, um, where does it say it? Uh, suffering. Oh, here we go. In verse 10, it says this, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And when we hear that word suffered, here's what we often think. We often think, okay, right from the time, maybe the Passion Week, when he came into Jerusalem, and he came as king, and then there were some other things that happened, and he started to get tested. And then Judas said that he was going to start to... That he was going to start to, uh, he was going to look for a way to betray Jesus. And then Christ goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets arrested and then they take him and they begin to beat him. And he gets judged and he uh, he gets slapped and punched. He gets a crown of thorns on his head. Ultimately, he gets condemned, crucified. Okay, that's his suffering. He dies on the cross. That's suffering. That's such a small view of the suffering of Christ. Because if again, we're thinking about God's glory in all its fullness and Christ for a little while made himself a little bit of uh, or a Little less than the angels for us to think about the change from this and again My my hand is not even nearly long enough To this is suffering imagine you were made a rock just being a rock if you could have any sort of sense of it whatsoever, would be suffering. You wouldn't be able to walk. You wouldn't be able to eat food. You wouldn't be able to have joy, love, life, experience the fullness of it. Just being a rock would be suffering. Christ simply becoming human, begotten of flesh in Mary, and his father Joseph, in coming into the world in Bethlehem, just that very existence, descending from his glory, is his suffering. Christ didn't, <clears throat> Christ didn't suffer for a week. He suffered for 33 years. Being with us for our sake. Because that's why he did it. He's not simply, it's not simply he's one of us. It's he redeemed us to be one with him. He did this becoming lower than the angels. So that in victory over death. He brings us up into the glory of God. It's not just Christ descending and saying. I understand this. Yes he does. He understands humanity. He knows our suffering. But in Christ becoming like us. He can then grab hold of us. Through his love and his grace. To bring us back with him. Into the fullness of his glory. What a gift. And it's only through Jesus. Let's finish the passage 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood. He too shared in their humanity. So that by his death. He might break the power of him. Who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery. By their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help. Those who are being tempted. And certainly that is encouragement. Right? No matter what you're going through right now. No matter how difficult the pandemic experience is, no matter what even beyond the pandemic is going on in your life, broken marriages, broken relationships, challenges with your parents, challenges with your kids, difficulties at work, financial burdens, health challenges, no matter what it is that you are walking through, the promise of Jesus is, I know what that's like. And I am with you in it. And so for us to pray, Father be present, equip me, empower me to what it is that I'm walking through right now. He not only says, I give you my power, but he gives us his presence because he can say, I know what that's like and it's hard and it's a burden and it's a challenge and I've known it, but I also have given you victory over it. Because that stuff doesn't have a hold on you. Your eternity is the glory that comes because I've broken the power of death. I've beaten the devil who has power now. I've taken the power away from him. And I hold it for myself. I now own it. And you're one of my children that I love. And your way through me into glory is because I've broken death. And I give it to you as a gift. I came here to be like you so that I can bring you into the fullness of this gift of my glory. And then we get this image right here that is a powerful image. And it comes up over and over again. You're going to be hearing this image over and over again in the text of Hebrews. That Christ becomes the great high priest. Now, if we're going to talk about the high priest, we need to understand the office of high priest. Some of you would say that I'm in that office as a pastor. And yes, there is some truth there. I am called by God to be some level of mediator. Meaning, I hear God's voice and I speak it to you as his people. And there is a mediation that goes on. I'm part of the mediator in hosting the table that we're going to share in a moment. I become the means of God's presence coming into this place, wherever it is that you are. And you experience the fullness of his grace in the bread and the juice. Yes, there is some level of mediation. But when we think about the priesthood of Jesus, we need to capture also the priesthood of the Old Testament, which was very different than what I do. Because it was about a blood sacrifice. The priest was the one who would receive the sacrifice for the sins that people offered themselves. And what they would offer was a perfect lamb, perfect sheep. And then the priest would take that sheep and they would butcher it and they would do all the instructions that are, if you're looking for all those instructions, they're in the book of Exodus and also the book of Leviticus. You can find out what it is that the priest had to do. Maybe we should do that here when we all come back. Maybe I should have, okay, you got to bring sheep. We're going to do it in the parking lot. Now maybe we'll do it on the patio. That way people on Redlands Boulevard can see what happens, right? We'll do some butchering of sheep. I'm sure that will go over well and we won't end up on Redlands Buzz. Obviously, we're not going to do that. But the means of that work of the priest was a way for the person, the people who were offering the sacrifice, to be close to God. You could be in relationship with God when our sins were forgiven through blood. Christ becomes not only the priest, but the sacrifice. That's his work. And I want to capture that for you because when we get to the places in the book of Hebrews where you understood Christ as the great high priest, and you're going to hear these words, this phrase, in the order of Melchizedek, we'll discover more about what Christ's special place as the high priest is. But what I want you to know this morning is that his priesthood is a means then through his blood For us to be in loving and graceful relationship with God. And because that has happened and Christ has become not only the priest, but the sacrifice, you and I have sins that are fully and completely forgiven once and for all. You don't have to bring another sheep next week. You don't have to bring another offering next week. Another sacrifice. Because Christ has done it once and for all. Which means this. You're free. Hear that. You're free. Let's say it together. One, two, three, I'm free. One, two, three, I'm free. I'm free. If that is true, and do you believe it's true? Nod your head if you believe it's true. I got a couple around here. Yeah, people actually believe it. Good. If that is true, then death has no power over you. Do you believe that? All right, then let me ask you this question. It's in your outline. What would you do then if you knew you couldn't be harmed? What would you do in this world? What would you do if you knew that no matter what happened, no harm could come to you? I got a couple things and I know you're gonna think I'm crazy. But it would be an absolute kick if I knew I couldn't be harmed and it'd be a great crowd pleasing thing. If I could jump off a 5000 foot cliff and then land on my feet on the ground in a crowd of people. That would be pretty amazing. Not only that but you'd have the experience of falling 5000 feet. Now obviously that's ridiculous and crazy you no know, whatever. But how amazing would that 5000 feet be? It'd be this in Experience of going at high velocity, watching the world go past. I'd want to drive a NASCAR and not put my foot on the brake. How amazing would that be? Go 200 plus miles an hour. I would want to. I would want to like go to the depths of the oceans and see some of these creatures that have never been seen before. I would want to try to journey somehow into space. If I knew that I couldn't be harmed and try everything and anything to experience all these incredible things. And here's the thing, friends. Although physically, right now in this world, we don't have the promise that we will not be harmed. Spiritually, in our existence, we do have the promise. In Christ, you can't be harmed. Sandy, you can't be harmed. Spiritually, your promise is sure. God has you and he has you forever in Christ. You have the glory that is promised through the open door of death that Christ made. Reuben, that is sure to you in Christ. It never changes. So then what does that cause you and I to do? What is it that we then live into? If we can't be harmed, then why are we so hesitant in being spiritual daredevils? Right? Being a daredevil would mean I'm the person who jumps off a 5,000-foot cliff, drives a NASCAR, goes to the depths of the oceans, and seeks the exploration of space. But spiritually, if God has equipped me with an eternity that is sure, then why am I afraid? Why am I afraid of sharing Jesus with people around me? Why am I afraid of the rejection of my neighbor? Why am I afraid of that calling that God has put on my life to go and serve him in this context, in this way, in this thing? Why am I afraid? If you know your eternity is sure, and the promise here is that it is, You cannot be harmed. Your eternity can never be taken away. Your salvation is sure because the door to death is open. wide Because of the work of Jesus and him alone and he is calling you then to go and preach my gospel to every creature. He's calling you then to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. He is calling you to in faith go where it is that he's opened up doors for you to speak the love the grace and the hope of Jesus I think actually because of that truth one of the commands repeated most often in scripture again we talked about it last week is this do not be afraid you don't have to be the eternity is sure you don't have to be afraid of the present The eternity is sure you don't have to be afraid of rejection. The eternity is sure you don't have to be afraid of the world's condemnation. Because Christ has said, you're with me. And I bring you to me. And that's a promise that can never be taken away from you. Nothing can harm you. Friends, in the week ahead. My encouragement to you is in those places where your fear comes up, where your doubt comes up, to grab onto the promise of the eternity in Christ assured and beautiful, the fullness of glory that Christ has already experienced and we will someday experience when he comes again, to take hold of that and be reminded this can never be taken away. Why am I so fearful of this? God is good amen Would you pray with me Thank you Thank you for the suffering That you took on our behalf Lord you experienced something of death That we will never know You experienced being separated from the father For you to say On the cross why have you forsaken me For us to hear that and be reminded that that's something that we will never know because of you. Because of the gift of your suffering, of your becoming like us, of you being a little lower than the angels for a little while. We then can know death, but only as a temporary state. We can know that death is there, but it has no power over us. We can know the reality of death in this world, even during this pandemic. But it's not the end of the story, because the end of the story is the fullness of your glory that we experience in union with you for all eternity. Lord, may that equip us, not not only with joy but also then with freedom to with courage and with faith, Lord, in our world around us to proclaim who you are without fear, because we know our eternity is sure. So something that we have through you and only you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.